I invite you to turn with me to the sermon text, which will be from Exodus chapter two, uh, chapter 20, verses 1 to 3, and please stand for the reading of God's word. Exodus chapter 20, verses 1 to 3. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. And then please turn with me to 1 John chapter 2. Verses 1 to 8. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. And by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Beloved, I am writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you, heard, that you had from the beginning. The old, command, the old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Let's pray. Oh Lord, our God, we, as we open now your word and give attention to it, we ask that you open our eyes that we might behold wonderful things from your law through our, through our Lord Jesus Christ, in which name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Sorry. So we are going to start a new series, as um, was already mentioned this morning, um, through the Ten Commandments. And I think our pastors thought it was time for the nice intern to preach something more challenging, something more confronting. The, the book of Ruth was a lovely, comforting book, but now we, we are looking at the Ten Commandments, and I'm sure uh, many of you are filled with enthusiasm, just thinking about the, the law of God, and yet others, they think, why is it important to look at the law? Aren't we, aren't we under grace? Aren't we free from the law? And yet, I think, first of all, that is not right to think that way, um, but it is important, it is crucial to understand the law of God in a right, right way. It tells us very much about God himself, and in fact, it reveals God's moral character. It tells us a lot about Jesus and what he had to fulfill perfectly. It tells us a lot and a great deal about ourselves, and it tells us how to live in this world. How, how do we live as Christians in this evil world? And I hope as we go along and um, consider each commandment at, at, at a time that we understand these things and that we will be 
um, equipped to live a Christian life, a good Christian life to the honor and glory of God. Now, before we come to the first commandment, we need to understand the context in which God gives his law to Israel. This is the third major event in the book of Exodus, and and God already revealed himself to his people of Israel in, in several ways. The first event was the upbringing of Moses, his birth and, and the way he made his way into the house of the, of, of the Pharaoh. And, and God revealed himself in this event as, as the sovereign God who directs everything and, and all the actions of, of the people. And then we read about the Passover and, and the way God freed his people out of Egypt how he brought them out and he reveals himself in this event as, as the redeeming God. And now as we come to uh, this part of Exodus chapter 20, we find God, the law-giving God, revealing himself as the holy God. He is the holy God of Israel. He's, he's the holy God of all creation. And here in, in Exodus chapter 20 verse 2, he, we find a summary of all that. He says, I am the Lord, I am creator, I am, I am the creator God, but I am your God who brought you out of Egypt, who, who freed you from the bondage of slavery. This is covenant language. He reminds them in one verse what he has done for them. And it's significant that we, that we see that they are dealing with a holy God. It's interesting to notice that the symbol of God's holiness in and especially this book, is fire. Throughout the book of Exodus, God reveals himself in this way. We remember when he appeared before Moses or revealed himself to Moses in this burning bush, a bush that was constantly burning, and he says, take off your sandals, take off your shoes, the, the, the ground on, on which you stand is holy. And later when he brings them out of Egypt. He's accompanying them with the, with the pillar of fire, reaching all the way into heaven. Again, manifesting himself as the Holy One. And here we have in chapter 19 in Exodus, he reveals himself to Moses on this mountain Sinai. And, and we read in, in chapter 19 that this mountain was wrapped in smoke because God descended in, on it in fire. And the whole mountain trembled. And all the people were in fear and nobody could, could approach that mountain lest they die. God is teaching his people that he is a holy God. And in order to live with him, they need to follow his law. They need to, to know his law and follow it. And what is very important here to see in this um, chapter is the, the order which we see. The law of God is given to a people that are already redeemed from a land of bondage. Do you see here in, in verse 2? It was the grace of God that came prior to the law of God. And you see here that he says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt. 
out of the land of slavery. And then after this, he begins to give them the moral law. And this corrects a basic misunderstanding so often the way we think about the moral law. The moral law is not obsolete because of grace. Or, or grace has not replaced God's law. But rather God, God's grace came first and, and enables us now to follow his law, to live before him and to do, to do his will. And that's, that's the order. And that's a very important order. That's a vital difference between, between any other religion and the Christian religion. It distinguishes our religion from any other. It is not, the law of God is not a ladder that you climb up into heaven, earning your way to salvation. That is always a misuse of the law. It is given to redeem people in order that they might live to the glory of God and become more like their Redeemer. But if you, if you go to the law uh, apart from what came before, the law will break you. The law, the law of God will kill you. But rightly understood, in the light of grace, we, we can follow the law. And First Peter chapter 1 says, As obedient children, in verse 15, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. And there's a great comfort, isn't, isn't there? A great, great comfort, what, what God does here. The, the way he explains it to his people, giving them grace first and explaining, explaining it to them. Children, how often do you, do you ask your parents for permission to do something, to go with friends to some place? Or maybe the little children, they, they ask for for permission to eat some candy and often or whatever it is and often our or we we parents the mother uh, the mother or the father says simply no or they tell you to do something they command you to do something take out the trash clean clean up your room or, or something like that and and sometimes as children we ask um, why why should i do that Actually, very often they ask why. Um, and often you hear that simple but profound answer of, of, of parents, because I said so, right? This is, and children, this should be uh, enough most of the times. Because as parents, we said so, and you, you are to listen. You ought to listen to our command. And, and this, is, this should be enough from God, the Creator, and in a certain way, every human being stands in that relation to God. God could stop at verse uh, 2 by, I am the Lord, and you are to do what I tell you to do. These are my commandments. Every, every human being owes God obedience because he is his creator God. But for us, for us redeemed, he gives more than that. He says, because I have redeemed you and brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of slavery. There's a reason that satisfies us and enables us to follow his law. He, he gives us more and he says, 
because I saved you from bondage and, and indwell you with my spirit, now you can serve me. Now you can consider my law and, and obey my law. And with the psalmist, you, you, you are able to say, now your law is perfect. It is reviving to the soul. And this is the very reason why God gave us his law. Because he saved us and because he loves us. And he wants that we know how to please him. As we read in, in 1 John, if we, if we want to know him, if we want to love him, we, know, we need to know him. And if we, need to know, if we want to know him, we need to know his law. And in a certain sense, his law gives us freedom. Freedom to to serve him well. And that, that sounds counterintuitive, I realize, to, to our minds. Law means freedom. This, this doesn't sound right. I, I, I was thinking of an example in my former vocation as a process engineer. I had a colleague, and our job, my job was, we, we built hard drives, a very complex product. And my job was to make sure that every process step is stable and easy to follow. And, and one of uh, the workers, he would build that drive and he had to follow every single step which told him what to do. And, and he, tr he liked to push my buttons and, and, and he made fun of me for, for my um, faith. And he once said, isn't it restraining or restricting to believe in scripture and believe in Bible, a bunch of rules and laws. Where's, where's freedom in that? And later uh, I thought it is really ironic coming from a guy who needs a, a process sheet, needs every step in order to build a hard drive, to build that product. But take away that sheet, take away that, that, those steps and he would be lost. Where would his freedom be? What would his freedom do good to him. And being his supervisor, I made sure he didn't work for me any, any longer. <laughs> Just kidding. <clears throat> but there you can see laws, rules are important. Think of any sport and you take away the rules and the laws of the sport and what's left. Nothing but, but chaos. Uh, we, need, we need the law of God in order to know how to, how to serve him. And it frees us. The truth is that we need rules, we need law, and we need a lawgiver. And what better lawgiver than the one who saved us and wants to dwell with us? And this is why he gave us these laws. And the very first law is... is is very important, and there's a reason why it's the first law. A, 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 a couple of seminary students once were asked to, to rank the Ten Commandments in, in, in their significance, and they put, you shall not kill at the first one, which is important, and you shall not steal, and, and, and believe it or not, but they put this very first commandment at the very last um, um, point, they said, you shall not have any other gods as the least important commandment. But God gave us this commandment first because it's very important. This is where everything falls and stands or falls. This is the problem to all the other commandments. 
And you see, the first commandment is not questioning whether you have a God or not. It's not saying you must have a God, and, and if so, then, then choose wisely and choose the, the true and living God. It, it rather it assumes that you have a God. Everyone is worshipping something or someone. And the first commandment calls you out and realizes that and says, you need to worship the true and living God. And this is why, the first, why this commandment starts here, or the commandments start here. It is important to understand that we always serve something or someone. This is who we are as human beings. Our nature is to, to be servants, and we were made to serve God. But with the fall, this, was, this has been distorted. And ever since, we are inclined to serve other things. And even as Christians, we are inclined to serve other gods. The Apostle John, we read from his first letter earlier, and he so lovingly exhorts them to follow Christ and to keep the commandments. He ends his letter with these words, little children, keep yourselves from idols. He knows how easily we are ensnared in, in idols, how easily we are we are following idols. And you might ask, how? If there's only one true God, how do we worship other gods? And the answer is rather simple. We create them. And we worship them as, as if they were gods. We take good things like friendship or marriage and turn it into an idol. You say, I'm very glad that God loves me, that, that he saved me. But that doesn't satisfy me. I need more than that. I need friends. I need a spouse. I need children. I need a good job. You see what you do? What is more important in that scenario? You just created an idol. And, and Calvin, he nailed it and when he said the human heart is an idol factory. Isn't that true? That we, we can make an idol out of everything. And we turn it into something that we worship. Fashion, work, family, relationships, money. Doesn't matter. We can take it and turn it into an idol. How? It happens when we start to rely on it. It happens if we start to trust that this will give us satisfaction, that this will fulfill us. It starts when we, when we, start, when we are beginning to worship these things and that we can't live without them. William Temple asked a helpful, helpful question regarding idols and how to, to realize it, whether we have idols or not. And he, he says, what do you do with your solitude? What do you do when you have nothing to do? What do you think about when you have nothing else to think about? What, what, what do you spend the most of your time with? And what is your heart's desire? What do you worship? Where is your heart, heart fixed upon? What are you ultimately serving? And non-Christians, they are often very frank and, and honest about it. 
I had a driving instructor who taught me how to, to ride a motorcycle, and he was pretty honest about it. He said, my Bible are my magazines, and my God is my bike. This is a very honest answer, but it's also very dumb. And those are the words of Apostle Paul. He says, it's foolish. It is, it is utterly foolishness to exchange the Creator God with creation. And that is what people so often do. And they're worshiping them. But why is he calling them fool? Why is it so foolish to, to exchange? It's not only wrong to exchange the creator with creation, but it's, it's foolish. Because they can't help you. They can't deliver what you so desperately need. They can't save you. They can't fulfill you. They can't satisfy you. And yet we, we, we try so often to find something that does. And we end up getting disappointed. Now, non-Christians are open about it. But some more or less. But for us, for us Christians, it's sometimes way more subtle. Our idols creep into our lives and often we don't even notice. But they are there. And that is why this first commandment challenges us to think about where our idols might be hidden, to recognize them, to realize, and to repent. And sometimes we, we hide them, and sometimes we know them very well, but we hide them so that no one can see them. We can't hide them in front of our, or before our pastor or the congregants or our friends and families but this, this commandment says, you shall have no other gods before me. The omnipresent, omnipotent, all-seeing, all-knowing God says, you shall not have any other gods before me, before my face. I can see, I can see all things. There's nothing that you can hide from God. And so Paul Again, he says, it's foolish. It is, it is impractical. It is wrong. So what do we do? Well, there's, as I mentioned, time to repent, time to recognize our idols in, in our life and to realize that they can't give us anything. True freedom and true satisfaction is not found in worshiping anything but God, the true and living God. And isn't it interesting that we listen to all kinds of people, to, all, to, to the entertaining world and to, to everything but God when it comes to that. Think about the physician when he tells you to stop eating another steak or, or there will be gout around the corner. I don't even know what that means. I just learned it uh, recently. But apparently that goes together. Um, but there are many things they say, don't do or, or do, otherwise your life will be over soon. We, we listen to them because we know they are concerned about our physical life. But when it comes to the human spiritual life, our soul, the most important and complex thing in this world, 
we so often refuse to listen to God. He who is very well concerned about our spiritual life, he loves us, he saved us, and he says, worship, worship me. Have no other gods before me. When God says, I'm the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, who, who freed you from the bondage of slavery and, and, and freed you by giving up his beloved son so that we can, can be free to serve him, we so often refuse. And we look somewhere else to find satisfaction. So what does this text tell us? What does this commandment tell us? It tells us that you most likely worship some idols and you need to stop. Stop and, and realize how foolish it is, how wrong it is, and, and turn around and realize that those are idols that, that are useless for your life. Turn to Jesus. Jesus is our justifier. Jesus is our peace. Jesus is our Lord and Jesus is our Savior. Jesus truly loves you and in him is fullness and satisfaction. God freed us from our spiritual bondage through the work of Jesus Christ. And he, he gives us this law saying, you shall have no other gods before me because he is a jealous God. You see, he loves you so much he can't bear to see you in the hands and arms of idols. And God says, Jesus says, I want you for myself. Because there's, there's where you find complete joy. There's where you find true happiness. Children will disappoint you. Your marriage will disappoint you. Your job won't give you fulfillment. But in Christ you can truly rejoice. He what he has done for you, he, he died and he was raised for you so, so that you can live. So let us, let us take this first commandment to heart and let us um, look into our hearts and see our idols and, and turn away from them. Turn to God and turn to Jesus Christ who, who loves us and who saved us and who wants to dwell and have communion with us. Let us, let us pray. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for scripture and we thank you also for your law, which reveals your holy character to us. And we thank you that we can have communion and fellowship with you, Holy God, through your son, Jesus Christ. You truly did free us from our spiritual bondage by forgiving us our sins, by renewing, renewing us, giving us a new heart so that we can follow you and love you well. Father, let our hearts be fixed upon you and follow your, your law. Meditate on it. And, and together with the psalmist says, say, your, your, your law is perfect, uh, reviving the soul. And so, Father, we pray for strength and we pray also for grace to repent and to realize and to recognize, unmask the idols in our lives so that we can again turn to you and enjoy you forever. 
We pray all these in Jesus, all this in Jesus' name.